In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Betches Media presents... I would like to speak to America's men for one minute. That slacker barista. I start getting full of emotion. Now we're going to build this new bridge here. Can I provide a definition? Mm-hmm. No, I can't. Betch Up Podcast. Like, how are people surviving? Hello, hello. I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Millie Tamaris. And this is the Betches Up Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Happy Monday, ladies. What are you doing here on a Monday? Well, new year, new show <laughs> New year, new us. <laughs> well, I want to dive into our weekends and stuff, but I do want to start with a very quick programming note that I have been teasing for a while. So I'm going to give I'm going to give a, a little bit of background. So, you know, longtime listeners will know that the sub podcast began as a don't worry, it's not ending. <laughs> I feel like I'm like <laughs> in the beginning of you know, it was a twice a week show. It was a longer discussion show where, you know, we covered the week's news, but I feel like at least, you know, we also left a little bit more time for like, you know, maybe like a cultural conversation that's been in the air, like a feminism thing, things that the three of us do get to on Thursdays sometimes, but not always if there's just like a shit ton of politics headlines. And we've sort of oriented ourselves as always going to give you those headlines. And so, you know, at the start of the pandemic, we did pivot to daily episodes and we kept that cadence through much of 2020 because there was just enough news. Then we launched Morning Announcements, which is a morning news brief, of course, that Sammy produces tirelessly every day that has so many listeners. And we've still kept up with our daily subs because, you know, that shows, uh, you know, three to seven minutes, usually five minutes. Um, There's not a lot of time to go into depth. But we've also received feedback that it's a lot of content to catch up on. And it is a lot of content for us to make. It's very easy for us to say, uh, okay, let's try to just do 25 minutes each episode. And then, you know, you have a day where it's a ton of news and we we want to hear from all of our hosts. So that's definitely been harder than anticipated. And especially it's a lot of content for us to make when we're kind of giving you that daily news in other places that we know you're checking out. We know you're reading Elise, uh, give her two cents in the newsletter and you're getting Sammy on that daily news in the morning. So with all of that, with that kind of evolution, we have wondered for a while if we can create higher quality shows with more unique discussions if we return to to a twice a week schedule. There are just some days where it feels a little surface and rushed and I know that we could do a create a bit better product if we had, you know, a couple days to put it together and reflect. So there's been a lot of changes, but we have made the decision to switch up our cadence and permanently move back to the twice a week schedule. So you'll be getting sub episodes in your feed Mondays and Thursdays. We might have some special edition things like we used to where other things pop into this feed uh, that don't need their own feed, just things that we're working on, bonus episodes, emergency episodes. But the plan is that your main subs will be Mondays and Thursdays. And all of those episodes will be hosted by me, Millie, and Elise. Yay! Yay. So Sammy and Caitlin are obviously crucial parts of the SUP team more broadly. You're still going to hear Sammy every day on morning announcements and in detail with Extra Extra. If you haven't checked that out, you need to. And she's still going to be coming on. And Caitlin too. We're still, you know, we're kind of just evolving what the SUP team kind of means and where we spotlight each other's best work. So Caitlin's going to use that big, beautiful brain to write a little bit more for us. But of course, when there's like a huge constitutional question, I'm going to ask her to come back. Uh, They will not be making them themselves sparse, hopefully, and they're definitely going to be part of our orbit. Uh, so you do not need to worry about that. But since we're just going to be having the two shows, when we have three hosts, which will be most of the time, it'll it'll be us. But you know, when when these two uh, take a vacation, obviously we're going to have that'll be a great time to you know bring in some of the other voices. We're still going to have guests and stuff, but. On Mondays and Thursdays, you can expect, you know, just like a long sub episode with with the three of us. So it's been in the works for a while. I'm I'm excited. I know some listeners are going to be bummed, but I wouldn't do this if I didn't think it was better for everybody. I'm excited too. I think you know uh, the therapist daily nods. <laughs> therapist nods. The daily sub started when uh, kind of like with the pandemic and the fact that news was becoming. It was just rapidly changing every single day. And um, 
I think this move reflects that we actually have more time to have better discussions now. And the news is still crazy all the time, but maybe not the rapid fire crazy of early 2020, which is Yes. And some uh, things nice. are a flash in the pan. And whereas like in 2020, every day, something inc- like historic and unprecedented was happening that we need to unpack. And I think nowadays we have, you know, a couple days in between. Jesus Christ, I should knock on all the wood. We're going to get I like know, a exactly. new. I <laughs> know, exactly. I'm like, I don't want to, I, I like hesitate to say anything in case, you know, yeah. some sort of wildness occurs. But whatever. we're so excited and we're happy Millie and Elise are, uh, are along for it. And you'll just be hearing, you know, we're still going to, like I said, like if those episodes were 25 minutes, you're probably going to get about the same amount of content. We'll just sort of be be spread apart and still doing fun things. And like SUP is still making tons of content for you. It just won't all be in this feed on the same day. I've talked to so many people that catch up on Fridays anyway. So your life isn't really changing. You're just going to – we're just going to sound less dumb on like the Monday episode where we're like, <laughs> this political indiscretion won't matter. And then on Friday, they like resign. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, I'm excited. I think, yeah, I feel like there's so much, there's so many times where I'm like, oh, I wish we had more time to really get into, you know, because again, it's not just like reading the headlines. It's like, you guys come here to hear nuanced feminist Mm -hmm. opinions about things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like why a dairy farmer would think that he knows (laughs) the best about (laughs) that's what you come here for. And I know, I know I've heard feedback and and I'm listening and, you know, I'm growing and I know you want to hear more about um, what mascots I want to fuck. And we're happy to bring that to you in detail. Yeah. Twice a week. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I think we can definitely indulge a little bit more personal uh, discussions here since it'll be always the same, the same hosts. But um, on that note, weekends, did we have good weekends? Last weekend in January, Millie, what'd you get up to? I went to a beautiful wedding. Um but, you know, I was just telling you guys, I was pretty late that I try not, you know, it's not cool to be late to weddings. I completely <laughs> missed all the ceremony. But I will say they didn't notice. the single girl. Yeah, they didn't notice. Nobody noticed. The single girlies will get it. Listen, I got one of those um, dresses, you know, the versatile dresses that you can like, oh, you yeah. can do it in different ways. All this shit. That shit is so hard, especially mm-hmm. by yourself. I'm having to braid fabric, oh, no. uh, like by my uh, behind my back, tie it up. I couldn't find my boob tape. I had to rethink the hairstyle. It was oh. just complicated, but I did. Of course, the wedding. The I mean, it was a beautiful wedding. So romantic, seeping in romance. Oh. And the DJ was the same DJ as Amanda's wedding. Uh, she recognized me, and she said, "Tell Amanda and Mike." Hi, and like I, I really? hope they're doing well. That yes. is so nice. I was gonna ask you, like, when you went up to her to say, "I saw you from this wedding where this happened." What did you say? But that's so funny that she just recognized you. Well, I was like, "You were at another wedding," yeah. And she said, first she said, "Stacy and Dan," and I was like, "No," and she's like, <laughs> "No, Amanda and Mike." Yes. Oh my God, how are they doing? Oh my God. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's so crazy. Uh, and then we started. Yeah, she's like. And then Amanda says, that's the woke DJ. Well, like I said to Millie, like this DJ company, there is really like no (laughs) practical reason to use them if you're like a straight couple. Like they're really designed to be like a safe space for LGBTQ couples, like a lot of their talent is and like non-white couples. So I was like, of course, like if you read their reviews, it's almost all like me and my wife loved this, me and my husband from like the same gender. So of course, Millie finds the wokest heterosexual couples in the city who both have selected the same DJ, the same woke DJ from the same woke DJ company. Yeah. It really speaks to you. Fox News. Fox News is is dying. Yeah. This, this, <laughs> that sentence would kill a Republican Absolutely. in 1950. <laughs> what, I know. Ron DeSantis is probably like in the process of banning being a woke DJ in Florida. Like, <laughs> oh my God. You, she was you so You can only be a problematic DJ in Florida. <laughs> yeah. Cause I gave her my list and she was like, I was like, I really want kind of like a party for the girls and the gays. And she was like, okay, like, is that like, I don't know if I said, she could, she's like, okay, is that like, who's going to be there? And I was like, no, it's like, it's mostly, no, that's not, it's no. it's not a, really a, a girls in the gays wedding, <laughs> but yeah, she nailed but- it anyway. And she did an impromptu, a uh, horror, Elise weekend, relaxing, weekend very chill, relaxing, started the last of us. It's as good as people say. I'm- is it glory? I'm scared. Is it glory? Um, I do not find it gory though. I do think like the mushroom people are scary. But okay. I wouldn't say <laughs> I'm not like 
I'm not I I'm not like particularly sensitive to gore, but I can't I haven't seen the most recent episode, but I can't off the top of my head think of anything majorly like gory that you would see. But it's scary. It is scary. I think mm. the creatures are scary and I think the the prospect that it puts forward <laughs> is scary. <laughs> it's chilling. That's yeah. the real horror. But we love Pedro Pasquale. We love Yes. So we sexy. certainly do. All, I just and all the performances the in it are Yes, all the performances in it are really good. That girl from Game of Thrones and Caitlin called Birdie or whatever, that girl, she's going places. She's a great actress. So I recommend the show. As for my weekend, yeah, I didn't get up to much. I had my period, which every, every, really blessed to have it on a weekend, but every single month it hits me and I'm like, this happens to me every month. But I will say this week's podcast sponsor is a brand called Deloon and they make this like steady mood vitamin supplement and also something you take when you have cramps. That's like herbal. It worked. I have my, like oh. moderate, mild to moderate cramps. So I would say over the weekend they were really mo- moderating. And as and I took it, you can take it every three hours. And because I don't like to take so many painkillers, I get weird about my liver. I just yeah. it makes me nervous. I'd rather not, and it really helps. So you'll hear me do that ad read. But y'all pick it up. I I can attest. I loved it. It really made my period a little bit a little bit better. Um, you two men get it for your gals. <laughs> yeah, whichever ones of you are left. Yeah, the last of us. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing, up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. Okay, so first today, of course, the big news story that dominated the weekend. Uh, Of course, Memphis police released video, as promised, of Tyree Nichols' arrest. So this video, horrifying. Um, I I didn't watch it. I knew I wasn't going to watch it. Um, yeah, I I it was played on TV and stills were put on TV a lot more than I expected. I mean, people have done the good work of like educating a lot of us that you should not just share that because to some people it's just too triggering. It'll ruin their whole day and uh, make them scared to go anywhere. So I, I saw that a lot of people did respect that. The video is as bad as anyone expected. I mean. There, every cop that has seen it has said, you know, this is a disgrace to the profession. So I'm not going to go into too much detail there. But of course, all five officers have been charged with murder. And a sixth officer was actually relieved of duty for allegedly using his taser on Tyree. So it just seems like no force should have been used on this young man whatsoever. The police chief also moved to disband the city's so-called, so-called Scorpion unit on Saturday. Um, that is a program that so she evil. so evil. And it is a program that she originally launched. That stood for Street Crimes Operation to Restore Peace in Our Neighborhoods. These were deployed to officers to hotspots in the area. And if you live in a city, I mean, a small one, there are a lot of these that sort of popped up. You know, a lot of them were sort of disbanded in 2020 with the sort of defund the police movement and people learning more about abolitionism and public safety. And then when you had a lot of rhetoric around crime leading up to the 22 elections, a lot of police chiefs and politicians just sort of brought them back to placate people to say, look, we're doing things about crime. And I think this is what this was. And residents, you know, I was reading that residents were already really wary of these units. You know, they they had 
seemed intent on pulling over all black drivers in the neighborhoods uh, to look for weapons, to look for drugs, to look for anything. These these fuckers are always touting how much weed they seize. And it's like, cool, good job. You're, you would be useless in like most states um, nowadays. So they had already – like there had already, it sounds like, been really unpleasant interactions obviously, uh, with this unit. And it wasn't, obviously there's, this is a shocking way for this young man to die, but there was already some skepticism in the community about that. So this is sort of, you know, I was thinking about the protests over the weekend and obviously a a main difference, there's so many differences, but with George Floyd and in 2020, a lot of those protests included demands for accountability that those people actually be charged. And in this case, it seems like they all, they all have been. So I guess the question now is just, you know, the weekend's kind of sitting with the pain of that family. But I'm curious, you know, what about this tragedy has kind of stuck with you the most? Because I saw you both kind of, you know, adding commentary to it throughout the week and weekend. Well, I mean, I echoed a lot. Millie posted a lot of really great quotes from Alex Vitale's book, The End of Policing, which um, I think really, I think with this particular instance of, deadly police violence uh, because the officers themselves were also black. I do think that it has raised more questions just about the nature of policing in general. And it's kind of, it's expanded even the conversation that we're having, because obviously in 2020, the conversation was very much centered around and, and for good reason was centered around the actions of, white officers against black people in their communities. But now I think what we're seeing and what um, reading the end of policing really brought home for me is that it, the issues with violence are actually inherent to the nature of the job itself. And it, it spans more than just race. Um, Obviously, race is an enormous factor in who is like bears the brunt of the most violence. But the issue is actually about policing at its core in the United States and what we want police to do. I mean, even just talking about the fact that these men were in a unit called the Scorpion unit, like, why are we why are we naming these units after like things that sound like they're from like the MCU that yeah, make these people exactly, yep. that make these guys feel like, and one of the quotes Millie that you posted over the weekend is about the militarization of police and how police are given military grade, grade weaponry. They're given these like, you're the scorpion unit like names. And then they end up treating people in the communities. They're supposed to be protecting like they are enemy combatants in a war. And that's what we're seeing. You know, Tyree Nichols being brutalized by this unit for basically no reason um, because he ran away from them to a certain extent, which at some point it's like, okay, yeah, he ran away. But at the end of the day, this is a U.S. citizen who is actually part of the people you're supposed to be protecting. Mm -hmm. But they're going to treat him like he is, um, yeah, an enemy combatant on the field of battle somehow. Right. Like, what if he gets away? What if he gets away? He's not armed. Like, also, like, they killed him. So like, he did have a good instinct to run away. You know, it's not like he was. And yes, I I mean, I shared a million quotes, because I think that I think that people do think that reform or diversity is going to change. And it's just like, again, inherent in the nature of police that they this is how the system is supposed to work you know as the system as it is right now and and i think everyone's shocked like but they're all black but it's just like yeah well when you when you again and it's about police training when you in the militarization i don't want to reiterate every point that elise made but it's just like when they they literally get these war contractors to train these police officers a lot of people who again have who are veterans who come from war too. And they say like every single interaction could be your last interaction. You know what I mean? Every yeah. single, so, so again, they don't view themselves as guardians of society. They view themselves as warriors against the general public. So that's, th- those were quotes that like stood out to me in the book that I really wanted to share. And also like, I just, 
I hope. I mean, of course, like police abolition sounds very scary to a lot of people. Like, but what about crimes and all this stuff? I honestly, I hope that we're having, you know, and, and, and more people are having conversations about like, you do not need police officers with guns to do traffic stops. Mm-hmm. Nine times out of 10, nine times out of 10, first of all, like, again, it's just like, rethinking the relationship that police have in our society police do not prevent crime they punish it and again these things like scorpion you know i'm watching star wars i'm i've seen the mcu this sounds like some fucking fantasy shit you know what i mean doesn't sound like a real thing and nine times out of ten they don't prevent crime they're just doing broken windows policing which is getting low level offenses and brutalizing into where you know and again another quote that i liked you know from the thing is like these white collar criminals who actually cause societal damage, homelessness, economic instability, all this stuff, they don't go to jail. They, they got don't scorpion get for them, yeah. There's no scorpion for them. There's no but like somebody who runs a red light or whose taillights are this or who whatever, who sleeps in their car is fucking going to jail. Like this is crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. So first of all, yeah, like nine times out of ten, you do not need somebody with a gun to do you you all you really need is a unit that goes in oh you got in a car accident oh you this and that here's your fine whatever you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. like sure but like yeah we really need to rethink that and i think that you know in terms of like the brutalization and the sharing and stuff like you know somebody shared that they were at the airport with their 11 year old mm. and the, you know all the airports show CNN you know and the, and CNN was playing the video like i hope i'm glad that there's a conversation about especially as all these videos so- on social media like monetize autoplay but like yeah. it's just it's just so you know again like i'll go on like i'm on the toilet or i'm like cooking something and I'm just scrolling through social media. Like, I don't want to see that. You know what I mean? So I'm glad that that conversation's happening. But again, like these things are going to keep happening until we really talk about the role that police have in our society. And also I feel like a lot of, especially politicians of color have to really overperform their relationship or lauding police, Mm. you know, policing and police officers because if not, like the right will say, like, oh, crime, crime, crime. Like in the way that Eric Adams and Vet, you know, all these other people, Val Devings have to do, you know? Yeah. But um, yeah, I just, I hope like things are changing and conversations already transformed a lot. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, as you were talking, it's like we talk all the time that there are plenty of crimes, like mass shootings, where it's like, okay, yeah, he did get the gun legally. Okay, yeah, he didn't have mental health problems. But the issue is still the proliferation of guns and the fact that it is normal in this country that there's more people than guns and that anybody can get them. And it sort of is the same with police. It's the proliferation of police. It's that the, the, that they were there, that Tyree did nothing wrong, but the fucking scorpion units were even there and they didn't need to be. Like they were only there because people are complaining that, the, you know, the cars play the loud music. It's like – when you're when you're going to your city board meeting and you're like, I want less cars playing, what you are saying is that you want to put cops in there. And then then somebody like Tyree Nichols who has nothing to do with that, and that isn't even a crime anyway, you know, becomes vulnerable. So it's like we don't even have to go as far as Millie is suggesting, which is consider what police abolition would look like. It's just like don't fucking have them where they don't need to be. Don't have them everywhere. Have and them not- where there's large crowds of people or and- Propensity and not for necessarily armed, you know, that's exactly. another thing is that like tra- in other countries, traffic officers are different than a police officer who is armed and has a gun and shows up because of like a serious crime or a serious danger that is taking place. Like if a if a scorpion unit is created, why is the scorpion unit doing traffic stops? If their purpose is to, like, to to stop serious crime, why are they involved in a traffic stop at all? Like, there needs to be a greater, again, just a greater conversation about, like, how different duties are handled by police officers. And that's something we've talked about on here. I know personally, I've seen even in my own neighborhood where 
mental health issues that have spilled out into becoming like public and neighborhood issues have become really, really complicated because it's understood between us and other members of the community that like, okay, if we were to involve the cops in this situation, this mentally ill person who's maybe, you know, in one case, we have a woman who lives near us who vandalizes a lot of stuff. And she's mentally ill. And, you know, we have gotten to know a lot of our neighbors because we walk our dog. And it's kind of a big conversation in general around the neighborhood as to what to do about this mentally ill person who isn't causing harm to people, but she is vandalizing people's stuff. And like the people who live around her, um, who are longtime residents of the area, don't really want their stuff vandalized. She like spray painted on a church. It's not good. But at the same time, everyone's very well aware that like, okay, but our only option is to call the cops on her. And what happens if we call the cops on her? She's clearly unstable. Maybe she fights them. I don't know. Like, I don't want to involve them in that situation. Who I'd love to involve would be social workers, would be a unit that we knew specialized in mental health care. If there was a line that I could call where I knew the person who was going to arrive wasn't armed, that would be a different situation. But everyone, Mm -hmm. and this is just one example, but like everyone feels like really like there are hands are tied behind their back in this scenario because we don't want to involve someone who's armed. And, And the situation doesn't call for the involvement of someone who's armed, but that's the only option. And it's really like just kind of watching this thing unfold uh, just within my own community has really underscored for me how few options there are in our society to do anything other than call someone with a gun to show mm-hmm. up. And it's like yeah. we don't need someone with a gun to show up. We need a mental health professional to show up and figure out what exactly is going on and maybe provide help to this person. But that's not an option. And I mean, I think that people, again, the right will take conversations like this, where, again, it's literally because these are the priorities that politicians and people do. There is a reason why it's easier to call someone with a gun. There's a reason why there's more police recruitment. You know what I mean? That's where the money is at. That's where most of our city's funding goes. So when we talk about defunding police, it's not about like taking away cops, but it's like, can we get a slice of that money that goes to cops to a mental health prison or or to housing mm-hmm. or to something else? Just try it. <laughs> Just try, you know? Yeah. But again, that even that conversation freaks people out or 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 makes people think all this other stuff. And it go, you know, it goes around in circles where it's like yeah. recreating this problem where it's like, yeah, but what are you going to do if she, you know, one day you're, you know, and it, it's, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. And we've been talking just about more broadly. And the thing about what happened with Tyronik is, is that he was not shot. They beat him so badly until he died. They were armed. So it's sort of like what, it, it, everything that we've been saying still applies, but it gives the added issue of like, they had they could have stopped themselves many times. Uh, a lot of times when you're talking about people getting a lot of times when you're talking about people getting shot at traffic stops, it's like, you know, you hear that the cop was scared and in that moment they just pulled the trigger. So it's like obviously addressing all of that, but also like what was it about that they saw Tyree Nichols and thought he was that much of a threat? Or like sometimes like I was saying to Sammy, it's like, I would love it to like it would be easier to accept an exclamation where five homicidal psychopaths happened to all be on the police force, but that would be too much of a coincidence. So something happened with the five of these people together that made them do that and kill this man. And that's what's, what brings me to that. Okay. The policing does not work. Yeah. And I mean, one aspect of the tape, which again, I didn't watch, but I, I listened to the daily episode recounting the information. Um, Paramedics, were on the scene and basically ignored him. Um, They were, I I don't know if they're like officially paramedics or like kind of like hybrid cop paramedics, whatever, but people who are supposed to provide medical aid were on the scene and they did not provide medical aid to him, even when he was visibly in very serious, in very serious condition. 
And instead, you can hear the officers kind of going over what sounds like them kind of trying to come up with their story, saying, oh, he seemed high, he was doing this. They're really more concerned with, like, chit-chatting about how they're going to explain what has happened than providing medical aid to this person. And that, I think, goes back to the dehumanization and the militarization Mm -hmm. and this kind of view that the... That they don't see themselves as protecting these citizens. They see themselves as policing fundamentally that their job is to police citizens, not protect them, because there has to be a level of not seeing your subjects as human to, number one, do what they did as far as like just beating him so badly. It's horrifying. And then also not even providing him medical aid afterwards. And I mean, again, this is conversation when people say like black lives matter. It's not that white lives don't matter or other races don't matter. It's literally viewing the value of a black life. And if it really mattered to these people, they would have taken more of a precaution, you know, but they they don't. They view black lives as disposable, uh, indispensable, not again, not a human being. And I guess those are the arguments that people are making from the beginning, you know? Yeah. So next up, we are going to revisit the Oscar nominations. Why are we re- revisiting those nominations? Because the Academy is. So this is a really interesting story uh, with a lot of kind of confusing background. But so last week, an actress named Andrea, I think it's Riseborough. She's a British Riseborough, actress. Yeah. Thank you. And if it was like, Riseborough <laughs> was nominated for Best Actress for her role in To Leslie. So if you hadn't heard of this movie, you can definitely be forgiven. It earned about $30,000 at the box office and it came out like March of last year. So it's a little older. It's a movie about a single mother who is an alcoholic and wins the lottery. I'm sure it's great. The most commercial attention it got was from people like Edward Norton, Kate Winslet, Jennifer Aniston, Jane Fonda, and more lauding Riseborough's performance. So basically, like shortly before the nominations were announced, all of these people suddenly started talking about this movie. And it just kind of like came a little last minute out of nowhere. And she was nominated. The Academy said over the weekend it's reviewing whether any guidelines were broken during the nomination period. They didn't say uh, whether they're looking specifically at a nomination involving two Leslie, but the the trades have made this inference based on the fact that, you know, like I said, this campaign was so unexpected or this nomination was so unexpected. It was such a small movie and so off the radar. And just in that last couple of weeks, they're like, what happened that made everybody suddenly pay attention to this? So there might have been two things, just my people involved with the film might have been in touch with voters during the process in a way that's not technically allowed. And there was a post on the film's Instagram that quoted a reviewer saying they perform they preferred Riseboro's performance to Kate Blanchett's. And you're not allowed to reference a competitor during the campaign. So these are things where it's like, you know, I'm not sure if these rules are not often enforced because there have been some actresses like Christina Ricci was like, it's it's ridiculous if they take away her nomination because it was like a small movie. It seems like, let me know what you guys think is kind of the the thing worth discussing here, but it seems to me that whether or not the rules were broken, this is a great example about how the status quo can be maintained when people, usually white people with a tremendous amount of privilege, rally around you. And, you know, the sort of potential issue here is that people were wondering, people were surprised to see Riseboro nominated when people were like Viola Davis and I think it's Danielle Deadweiler who was until were not. They were seen, seen as being you know, obvious snubs where people were surprised to see Andrea. So what, what, what's, what impression does this give you? What taste is this leaving in your mouth? Um, I have been very interested in this story for a while just because, you know, I fall, I, I'm an Oscars gal. I follow all this stuff. I'm, I'm a bit of a thespian, but also like I love awards shows and I always like follow the drama and stuff. And so I've been following this since, literally when people started being like, why are all these random A-listers suddenly like posting on social media about this performance? And it turns out that the director's wife is very well connected with all of these A-listers and did personally email them to post on social media. Got it. Got it. Got it. And you can't. Yeah. Every uh, day until whatever the Oscar voting. Her email was like, 
if you can post every day, please do. See, here's and you- the thing, because whatever article I read, they're like shilling for them too, because the article I read mentioned that person's name, didn't say it was the director's wife. It's the director's yeah. wife emailed all of these people and was basically emailed all of her contacts and was basically like, you should try to promote this performance. So number one, that might violate rules about contacting academy members directly and lobbying them which is really not something you're supposed to do does that go on behind the scenes usually i i'm sure some of that does but this it became really obvious when suddenly all of these a-list celebrities are posting the same thing and some of those celebrities included in their posting things along the lines of like well, uh, Deadweiler and Davis and Michelle Yeoh are a lock, so you should really vote for Andrea Riseborough, which Eek. violates rules where you're not supposed to call out the competition yeah. by name. And also what I think is just really interesting is like, okay, you know what? You have a little indie movie you think had a great performance. You want to promote that performance. Okay. But it's interesting that it comes clearly at the expense of nominations for yeah. Viola Davis and Deadweiler and not for Michelle Williams, who gave a great performance too, but that's not one that's like getting a huge amount of buzz. Mm. It, you know, like why was why did Riseborough get in instead of two black women who gave huge performances that were also like rooted in like a black female identity and story? Why are those the ones that get knocked out of the running? But like Tar doesn't, Kate Blanchett doesn't get knocked out or Michelle Williams doesn't get knocked out. Like it's interesting to see who loses their nomination at the expense of this like little campaign on Riseboro's behalf. Like clearly the Academy members who saw that mm-hmm. put Riseboro in instead of Deadweiler or Davis and they lost out as a result instead of, you know, again, like Michelle Williams' performance in The Fablemans I thought was good, but that feels like one that they could mentally swap out mm-hmm. or whatever for, as, yeah. for this Riseboro performance, which is apparently so amazing that Gwyneth Paltrow is hosting screenings of the movie at her house and da-da-da. Yeah. It's like, who are the people that lose out, I think is the interesting question. And why isn't Gwyneth doing that for them? You know, like... Whoa. It's just because it sounds like this person – yeah. I mean, I, I was expecting to read the story and them have, like, broken some rules. But as we were talking about it, it's just, like, it just – obviously, it just contributes to white supremacy when the people with access are the people that are like, oh, no, help her. Like, it's just – allyship is – it's not hard in comparison to being a marginalized person. But, like, yeah, it means that maybe you don't dick ride for your friends when there's a – like – the person that you think is entitled to it because they just did such a good job when there's somebody, plenty of other people. It's like you don't get to just like leapfrog. You don't, why, I don't know, why not, why not illegally text people about Danielle Deadweiler? But it's also like, I guess another thing too that's like, why weren't they promoting the film for people to watch it? Like, <laughs> it's one thing, it's one thing to be like, Hey, this film is really great. It's underperforming. Let's let's like make sure all of our followers and our let's use our influence to get more people. Like we want people to like be affected and think about the things that this film is discussing. Right? No. It's like no, this film needs to be awarded yeah. the best over all the other films that like have a have, that people did fucking connect with that people did go out and watch people watched Woman King and people did watch Till and like are having these conversations and it, it's just this thing of like access what you do with power where you decide to put your effort and it's about again rewarding this stuff when it's really like if you want to reward like there are plenty of films that made more than $27,000, you know, that that we could like reward performance. I'm sure this movie was good. I'm sure she had a touching performance. So did tons of people who were not, you know, nominated. So it's just interesting that it's like clearly this 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 woman that started this like felt that this actress was just entitled that like we did we checked off all the boxes, we did all the steps and this was supposed to happen for us. And I read that it's very unlikely they will like withdraw the nomination, but even if they did, nobody would be um 
put in her place. But yeah, just hearing you talk about more of it, Elise, it is a really interesting insight into how this actually like happens and kind of the fine line between. It's interesting how the Academy actually does consider unfair advantages like that and um, how they can really function to preserve the Oscars so white problem that they've had. Exactly. I mean, it's the same thing. I think this is like a clear analogy to like legacy uh, acceptance in colleges where it's like you could either be like a it's really a great example. student or like your aunt what your aunt went to the to Harvard so your family has to go it's that same thing or you're thing a great like, student like you know Andrea Riesborough is an A plus student but when you're applying to Harvard there's a ton of A plus students yeah yeah so finally today, I wanted to spend a few minutes talking about an op-ed that struck me this month in Los Angeles Times. This is one that I've wanted to talk about like every every Thursday, but we haven't had time. But it's it's a pretty sort of basic concept. But in the essay titled, Body Positivity Has Boomed, But Thinness Never Went Away, Sampita Mukhopodai writes that while fashion trends might change, the beauty ideal will always be unattainable. So I'm, I'm not quoting now. So if I misrepresent her words, definitely, definitely go read it. But my sense is that, you know, whether it's the boy silhouette that looked really good and like the 1920s drop waist. Did you, ever, did you guys ever buy a drop waist and then try it on and be like, oh, no, that's not <laughs> <Yeah>. for me? <laughs> or itty bitty hourglass figures or hair wrench chic or what we see now, which is kind of like small waist, but big boobs, big butt. The point is that not every, nobody has this beauty ideal. Whatever the beauty ideal is at the time, very few people have it naturally. And the idea is that these industries will make us strive to get it. So yes, the parts where we're allowed to have some fat might change over time, but it will always kind of change back again. And you know, we've talked about this on the podcast that we've sort of been living in a couple years of a body positivity movement of people that are live in slightly larger bodies having more mainstream attention. But you know, she kind of Samita kind of like wonders if there's going to be a reversion. She references this in light of an apparent Ozempic trend in Hollywood that we haven't discussed on the podcast yet. And Kardashians, every picture I see of them, they're thinner. Their butts are smaller. Um, So she kind of discusses, like, how are we going to react to this? Obviously, women are not a monolith, but also looks at it in terms of, you know, for many women, living up to the body ideal is empowering. Influencers like flaunt their makeup and exercise routines we tell them like slay girl, we see them as empowered. But to sort of start us on this conversation, I'll read the last paragraph from her piece, which says, cynics suggest these performances are a delusion, that there is no expression of the self or of gender without mediation from external forces, but they do make beautiful online content. And the reality is most women both capitulate to and embrace the culture's body standards. It is impossible to separate what is imposed and what is our truest self-expression. So that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you guys about today. You know, as people that are sort of like, you kind of have to be like externally facing for your jobs, your content creators. We all take pictures of ourselves and get dressed every day. How do you kind of distinguish between self-expression that feels good to you and like self-expression you feel like, oh, I know I meet the body ideal today or I feel like I do. So I'm going to like show it off. How do you think that more broadly, I think a lot about how, you know, I see beauty influencers as empowered. I like girly things. I like, you know, when they come up on my For You page, I like buying things that smell nice. But then I always wonder, is there any pure enjoyment of that? Or are we just constantly under the patriarchy's grip? Just really simple questions to round (laughs) us out today. (laughs) I think for me, I do feel like empowered or confident in my body. And like I have to as this like public facing thing. But I do also sometimes feel like because I do have a larger body or yeah, I do have a lot more weight. It's like either like there is just a natural stylishness or like people laud like skinny people. It's like, wow, she's so fashionable. And Kendall Jenner just wearing like a t-shirt and jeans where I feel like I really do have to put effort into everything I wear. Like intentionally I have to like, it, it like overcompensate in other ways of like my lashes have to be done my eyebrows have to be done my nails have to be done I have to have no body you know all these other things and like do I enjoy having nice nails and like expressing my creativity through having nice nails like obviously I do it but it is something that I I do consciously think about like sometimes like I do, you know, they call it maintenance and you can go on TikTok and it's like a maintenance weekend where somebody gets waxed, their hair braided, they're all this stuff in the same weekend and stuff. And um, 
you know, I do enjoy these things separately. I like how they look, but once in a while I'll have to do all these things in the same weekend. And I'm like, fuck, like I've spent all weekend doing shit to make me just where people will still, I'll walk in someplace and people will still be like, she's ugly or like, she's so, you know what I mean? And I'm like, I'm just doing all this shit just to be like a base level for people to respect, you know, and putting, putting effort into what I'm wearing and stuff. So that is stuff that I think about constantly, you know, um, is like how I show up and, and all this stuff. And, and, and there is a lot to be said about people who co-opt the bot, like the body positivity movement to sell more things mm -hmm. or to like, yeah, you, you know, and I mean, there's a lot of conversations about this because whereas like male, uh, incels are like, feel this entitlement to sex and like, you know, hate women. Mm -hmm. A lot of fem cells, which is a whole group on Reddit feel like I'm taught to hate my body. And if I don't love my body, like there's something wrong with me. And like that, they, they like reject that. So mm. there's a lot, there's yeah. a lot there, but like this really like brought up that of like these body trends and all that. Yeah. I don't know. And it's interesting. You're right. Cause you know, we, I, I introduced it as like just feeling empowered when this is the beauty ideal. But like you said, if it, if the beauty ideal swings back dramatically to extreme thinness, it's going to put like that changes the standard for like that puts even more pressure on the people that are farther away from that. And it is a little, like you said, like there's access to certain trends and more things when like, but I think like the average American woman is like a size 14 or something. Like you can't just, you can say it's not trendy anymore and people are still going to, there's still going to be a need for these things. People are still going to to buy them. But like you said, like, yeah, influencers can just sort of like tweak what body parts they accentuate. But like they talk about this on high maintenance all of the time. Like fat people literally don't get the face. same job. Oh, high maintenance face. Don't get the same like, um, like job opportunities. But yeah, this just... I also sort of like – maybe I started thinking about this a lot because like, you know, Mindy Kaling was always – she's never like plus size really, but like just a normal size person and kind of like revisiting how she used to refer to herself and also how she's so much thinner now. Like she's one of those people where you're sort of like, no, but like she was ours. She was like a midsize, <laughs> you know, person and now she's quite thin and if she's happy, that's that's fine. But um yeah, it's sort of been sobering where it's like the thin has like always been in. And Millie, you've known that because you have, you know, people have to pursue these things to get as close to the ideal um, as they can. But also I'm curious to know, I feel like Gen Z, like they already are not waiting for a flat tummy to wear a crop top. So like, yeah, if low rise jeans come back, they're going to wear them and they're just not going to give a shit. It's like, it's my insecure ass who's just going to wear like too tight skinny jeans. I definitely think things like I think the effects of growing up, even with a slightly better or with all the caveats that Millie just explained, a body positivity movement that is going to affect Gen Z, I think, in a positive way. The one thing that a lot of this stuff brings up for me or just makes me think about is that these body trends, these beauty trends are always so linked to wealth and how to display that you are wealthy, especially like if we look at the Kardashians specifically, right? That when they had the BBLs and all the surgeries and all of that stuff, what is that to show, but that you have access to body modification surgeries to make yourself, you know, curvy in the exact right way that you can afford all the shapewear and all the things so that you're not like, yeah, maybe you're, maybe these women are like a bigger size than what was trendy when we grew up, but they also are doing it in a way where like their curves are perfect and they're flat mm -hmm. and they're this and that. And it's because they have access to these body modification trends. Now, if you look at this Ozempic trend, Ozempic is fucking expensive. It's really yeah. expensive. So these people who show up and now they show up really, really thin, really, really fast. And it's obvious that they have gotten on Ozempic. That is another way to say, like, I have Ozempic money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll take it from the diabetics who don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I can afford to use this diabetes medicine that my insurance doesn't cover because I'm not diabetic and actually don't need it. <laughs> Yeah, and I know I know you asked earlier about like Gen Z. I yeah, like just something I even noticed is 
like it took me a lot of unlearning and now I wear whatever I want and I'm very confident and all of that. But like it, I had to do years of unlearning to wear like a crop top everywhere or whatever. Now I'm just doing whatever I want. And then I'm seeing like a 21 year old at a bar wear something even sluttier than me. And it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I do think that they are just like, you know, ahead of they're They're not because they're inherently better, but because, there are so many more, I think with the, whatever, I'm like trying like eight different thoughts at once. <laughs> I'm sorry. But even though there's like thin is in or whatever, like yeah, there are mainstream influencers, but because of how the internet works and algorithms and all this stuff, there is a democratization of, you know, content. And, and there's always these people having discussions and all this stuff. So it's been really interesting to see like, even how specific my TikTok is like, yeah. my TikTok knows what size I am and it will show me creators that are exactly my and size. And they have big audiences because and they have, they have audiences and they're like, this is what I would wear. Like, this is how I wear this shirt, you know? So I'm just like, they're already getting that because of the hard work of like all these other people and not because Gen Z is like uh, better than us. That's like mm. my whole thing is like, but because all these people have like worked hard to like pave the way for them to like get access to this information yeah. where people are like, these are how these things show up and this and that. But it is all about money. At the end of the day, even like, even like to be a, a plus size content person, like a lot of those, even the plus size models they're all like fat, right? But they yeah. have big butts and small weight. Like it's still like these proportions that are crazy yeah. too. My, I have a friend and she used to always say like talking about body positivity. And then I was listening to some celebrity my Marbach club and they said the same thing. It's like, okay, congratulations. You think Ashley Graham is hot. She's one of the most stunning. She has one of the most, congratulations. Lizzo has one of the most beautiful faces facing right now. So it's like, <laughs> it's not just about a bigger body that is fluffy in the places you like it, you find attractive. Um, it's, it's more than that. So I, I appreciated this essay for sort of like, I always like to pause and think like, do I like Lululemon <laughs> or, or like, do I just think that I, that I have to, well, that was a great uh, foray into our new schedule. We will be back the three of us on Thursday, we're going to work, I'm going to work on building out some uh, new segments and stuff so that we can make the most of our time. That is our show for today. Until the end of democracy. I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Millie Tamaris. And this is the Betches Up Podcast. The Betches Up Podcast is produced by Amanda Duerman, Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Rebecca Sousmacat. Editing by Rebecca Sousmacat. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails at suppod at betches.com. Betches.